Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Let's jump into our Rethink series. Uh, like Missy said, we just started up again last week, going through 1 Corinthians. We picked up in chapter 10. We're going to finish out chapter 10 today. Last week, we talked about unity and how that's so important for the church. This week, we're taking that theme. So don't, don't forget about unity. Don't forget about that theme. All these are flowing together. Paul is trying to build something here. And we're going into conscience. And so this morning, I want to help you rethink conscience. And, and we'll see how that ties into unity. Uh, so a lot of you guys know, maybe, yeah, a lot of you guys know that I hate spaghetti. I've shared that before. If you invite me to your house, don't make spaghetti, please. Um, uh, yeah, I, this is a childhood thing. Like, just to be clear, I love pasta um, or pasta. I'm American. Pasta is maybe a fancy, <laughs> maybe we think it's fancy food, so we say pasta. I don't know. Um, I love pasta. It's just spaghetti with red sauce. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't do. There's a whole history of that growing up. I don't have time to explain that. If you want to find out about it, I can tell you about it. But bottom line is no spaghetti. Um, so the first time, though, uh, Adam, one of our pastors, uh, when we first met, one of the first, maybe the first time we were at their house, and I think it was the first time, well, that we went over for dinner. I came for breakfast one time, but Adam and Emily invited us over for dinner. We're going up in their condo building, up the elevator, and I step out in the hallway, and I have like a spider sense about spaghetti. Like, I just felt its presence when I stepped in that hallway. And I was like, there's spaghetti around here. Like, it's, it better not be in their apartment. But as we approach their apartment, I could smell it. Like, it's like I have a heightened awareness for it. My senses are heightened. I'm like, oh, no. Of course. I mean, it's, it's one of the easiest meals to cook for people, right, when they come over. So I'm like, of course, spaghetti. So we go in, and it's clearly spaghetti. I mean, there's no turning back now. I couldn't, like, text him, like, hey, we're not coming, I'm sick. <laughs> we were already, like, at the door. So um, we get in there, and what made it worse is, I think it was Adam was saying, oh, it's, you know, Emily makes really good spaghetti, it's really great, so there's even more pressure to, to act like I liked it, right? <laughs> um, so, and they have no idea. I, I don't like spaghetti, which is why I'm saying it publicly again. I don't like spaghetti, so <laughs> remember that. Uh, and so we get there, and there's a huge... I mean, the plate was probably only this big, but to me it felt like this big. And I'm like, I got to eat all this spaghetti. It's just a full plate of spaghetti. I got to eat all this. Um, and I ate it, and I didn't say anything. I ate it, didn't say anything, went along our way. Um, they actually probably didn't find out I didn't like spaghetti until, I don't know, 
a year or two later. Who knows? Uh, it, was, it was much, much later. And, and it wasn't bad spaghetti, but I just don't, don't like it. Now, I would have been fully in my rights to say, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to eat this, right? Now, you would have, you think, oh, well, maybe that's a little rude. Um, it's, it's out of protocol. But I could have said, well, I don't eat spaghetti. So, because uh, my belief is I'm never going to eat spaghetti the rest of my life. That's what I truly believe. <laughs> when I left my home, because my mom's favorite meal, she's, she's Thai, but her favorite meal is spaghetti. Like, she would make spaghetti for everything. Um, and so I said, I'm, I'm not eating spaghetti the rest of my life. So it went against my belief, my belief system, to eat that spaghetti. It went against my preferences. If I had choices, I would have said, no spaghetti. Um, it, went, it even went against a part of my will, because I felt like I had to give up my will, because it was such a pressure situation. Like, I had to eat it. I couldn't not eat it, I felt like. And a lot of us, or we do, this is how we make decisions. We make it through our preferences, our will, our belief system, our conscience, right? And this is like a lighthearted situation, but I would have been totally in my rights on the grounds of conscience to say, no, I don't do spaghetti. I should have said, I'm, I don't do gluten. <laughs> Darn it, why didn't I think about that then? Um, I, and I could, have, <laughs> I could have said no. Um, now, we make decisions that way, and that's not a bad thing. But the question is, what are your preferences? What, what, what informs your will, your volition, what, what, uh, how you make decisions? What are your passions? What are your desires? What is your belief system? And a lot of times what we do is we appeal to conscience, but our conscience is off. Our conscience is wrong. And we've been taught to trust in our conscience. We've been taught to go with our conscience and, and to trust it. But what if your conscience isn't the conscience that Jesus wants you to have? What if our conscience was corrupted at some point and now in Christ he's trying to restore it? And this is what Paul's getting at here. Okay, so, and, and here's the thing. The, the way your conscience is structured through preferences, through will, through desires, through passions, uh, through your belief system, reveals a lot about what you believe about Jesus. And that's the bottom line for today, is that your conscience reveals your Christ. And that word Christ means Savior, it's, it's Lord, it's, it's Messiah. So your conscience reveals who your Savior is who your Messiah is, who you're, placed, who you're placing or what you're placing your trust in. You guys following me here? And Paul is continuing a discussion he started to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he says, you have the mind, the conscience of Christ, the self-awareness of Christ, right? He says, you have that in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, that is yours. In the very next verse, he says, but I can't address you as spiritual people. I can only address you as infants. 
I can, you guys are people of the flesh, he says. And think of an infant. An infant has an, <laughs> an infant is basically bridled to their own desires, right? I mean, if you have kids in here, much of parenthood is, is teaching your kids not to just think of themselves. That's how we're created. Like, that's, that's how we're born into this world, into this sinful nature, is that we just think about ourselves. We just operate in that. And think about an infant here. Uh, when they're hungry, what do they do? They cry, and you have to feed them. When they're dirty, they cry, and you have to change them. When they're thirsty, they cry. And, you, and it's whining and whining and whining. And Paul says to them, I can't address you as adults, basically. You're all a bunch of babies, he says. I'm addressing you as infants. And think about this. Think about infants in that way and how they're so helpless and you have to do everything, you have to take care of them, which is why they end up controlling a lot of aspects of your life. If you're a new parent in here or you're almost new parents, (laughs) you have to fight against that. They don't control you, you control them. (laughs) You dictate to your kid what what they're going to be like. Um, We can talk about that more later. So, uh, but think about infants in that way. There's such a pull for them to dictate everything in your life. And we think, oh, well, that's infants. But that's you guys. Paul is saying, you are babies. You're just infants in Christ. Now, he says you're in Christ. You got to remember, you have the mind of Christ. That's your reality. That's your truth. But you're just a bunch of infants whining for your own preferences, your own desires, your own passions. And if you think about your life, if you think about what you pray about, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, if you think about what consumes your prayer life, what, what you, you're pursuing in life, a lot of those things are because you're just in the infancy stages of your faith, not because you've reached any sort of maturity in your faith. So let's walk, let's walk through this passage, and, and we're, we're going to see what he means here. So he begins by saying, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all these things build up. So you see it in quotes there, all things are lawful. It's because Paul is quoting a statement that the Corinthian church is making. Now this is from uh, chapter 6 in 1 Corinthians that, that he's referencing. So he's referencing his letter again. Um, in chapter 6. Now, for us, we went through chapter 6 probably seven months ago. Um, So let me explain this again to you guys. So when he says all things are lawful, again, he's quoting the Corinthian church. They have just, remember, they were were without Jesus, shackled in sin, in bondage, uh, slaves to sin and death, and now they've experienced this newfound freedom in Christ Jesus. This freedom they've never known about before. They're experiencing that in Christ. And their reaction is to say, all things are lawful. I shared this story when I talked about 1 Corinthians 6, seven months ago. So I'll share it briefly again. When Missy and I were in Libya in 2013, the Gaddafi regime had just fallen. We were in Tripoli. And uh, I'm walking through this, the streets with my buddy, and we, we decided to take a shortcut, which in Tripoli, we should have stayed on the main road, but <laughs> we decided to take this shortcut, go through this alley. We're walking through this alley. This guy stops us, and he starts talking to us, and he realizes that uh, I'm American. 
And because I just opened my mouth. I should have just not said anything. Um, and, and, uh, and, but he was excited. He's like, oh, he's like, oh you're, you're American. You're American. And, and bro broken English. And, and, uh, and he says, oh, we, we want to be just like America. We want freedom just like America. No laws. And I was like, that's not how America works. <laughs> There's actually laws. I guess not just you do whatever you want, but in Libya, that's why the country's in such a mess right now, uh, because they were under a dictatorial regime for all of their existence. They've been under this regime, and generations upon generations of people had no idea. Once they got freedom, they had no idea how to operate in it. They're infants in operating in freedom. This is a lot of you guys. This is who Paul's addressing here in the Corinthian church. You guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you found this new freedom. Uh, you, and, and it's true, don't get me wrong. Like what the Corinthians are saying isn't necessarily wrong, that all things are lawful. But, and what they're saying isn't we can do anything we want. What they're declaring is we're actually free from the law. We've been set free from that. And that's true. Romans 8 says you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Matthew 5 says, Jesus speaking, he says, I've come not to abolish the law, not to get rid of it, not to say it's not worth anything, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you that it's different from what you thought it was. I've come to fulfill all aspects of it, he says. And so it's not like... It's not like um, we just cast it aside. And, and so, and, and here he's not saying, you Corinthians, though, you just don't know what you're talking about. But he's, he just puts a new perspective on it. He says, but are all things helpful? Do all things build up? And those words in there talk about working together, drawing together, bearing things together, 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 together. It's all about the collective not the individual. Remember, we just talked about unity in the body. It's all about the collective, not the individual. I'm going to say that a lot throughout this sermon. Now, a lot of times when we read that verse, we think it's very individual. And if your mentality is all things are lawful, that's a very individualistic perception of the gospel. He says not all things build up the body. Not all things are helpful collectively. Not all things are beneficial. So a good rule of thumb for your faith, for as you're learning how to follow Jesus, is not, is this right and is this wrong? That's how we've been taught a lot of times. Is this sin? Is this not sin? That's a very legalistic way of thinking. That's, that's just another cage that you put yourself in. The better question is, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Does it build up? Is it good? See the difference there? One, if you picture the heart of God like this, one says, is it sin or is it not sin? And we're going away from the heart of God to the boundary. We're like, uh, can I step one foot over this boundary? Or like, what makes it sin here? The other questions are going into the heart of God and saying, what is God's heart in this matter? What is good? What is beneficial? What is building up? And Paul is trying to restructure our conscience here. Okay, he's trying to give us a new conscience. He's trying to give us the mind of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. And then he gives us a few different examples of, of how he's going to talk to us about conscience. And these examples are, they're foreign to us. Missy read them. I'm not going to read all of them, but in verses 25 through 30, he lists three examples. One is eating whatever is sold in the meat market. So going to the meat market and, and eating whatever is there without raising questions on the ground of conscience. And he gives a verse from Psalm 22, and, or 24, I don't remember, in the 20s. <laughs> and then verse 27, he gives you another example. He says, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, and he gives this dinner example, just eat whatever's in front of you. This is me at Adam and Emily's. They were unbelievers, they offered me spaghetti, <laughs> and, and I had to eat it on the grounds of conscience without raising any questions. And then the third, the third thing he, he gives is someone says, oh, this is meat that's been offered to a sacrifice, um, but you're at a dinner, um, what do you do? And those are three examples. Now, those don't make a whole lot of sense to us yet. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to shape our conscience. He's trying to give us principles for our conscience. And even though these are culturally specific uh, examples, there's principles that, that transcend the cultural specificity of, of these examples. So, and it's all informed by verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor or the good of the other is what it literally says in Greek, the good of the other person. Uh, so, the good of his neighbor. And remember that, remember when someone approaches Jesus in the Gospels and says, well, who is my neighbor? Who does Jesus say is your neighbor? He basically says it's, it's anybody, even up to your enemy, the one who's going to persecute you, the one who's gonna, who doesn't want you to succeed, the one who's, who's holding you back. He says, even that person is your neighbor. So when you read that into this, let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor, it's not just your friendly neighbor who's, who's awesome to you. It's anybody, even those who are, who are horrible to you, count as your neighbor, as the other person. So... Let's go through some principles of, of this. Let's start with number one, uh, and this is coming from verse 24. Your conscience is not about self, it's about sacrifice. How often when you make decisions, do you make them based on what benefits you, not what benefits somebody else? If you put a percentage on it, I would say most of us have a very high percentage of what benefits us versus what benefits somebody else. And that's how we make our decisions. But Paul is saying your conscience is not about you. It's not about yourself. It's about sacrifice. Remember the collective here. And, and here's the thing. It's not that you're always sacrificing. Because who likes to sacrifice? I mean, who, who likes to give things up? So it's not always about sacrificing, but it is about always being willing to sacrifice. You know, I've found that when I'm holding on to things like this, closed fists, that I can't really receive a whole lot. But when I have my hands open, God actually puts a lot in my hands. I'm using my hands physically, but talking about your heart, your mind, whatever. 
but a lot of us are holding on to something like this. Just take a sin in your life. You're grasping onto this sin when God wants to give you forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation with him, but he can't give it to you because you're holding on to your sin like this, and all he wants you to do is sacrifice it and let go. So now he can pour forgiveness into your hands. Some of you are holding on to a burden, and you're grasping onto it so tightly, and you're not letting anyone else help you carry that burden, and you're stuck with it because you can't just open your hands to people. And I don't know what it is for you, but a lot of you guys, because we don't know how to live in freedom, what we tend to do is go back to our old way of life, and we reshackle ourselves. We put the, put the shackles back on, we put the handcuffs back on, and we're back to living like this. And God's freed us, Jesus has freed us to live like this. Just think about physically a gift. If you're sitting around the Christmas tree and someone gives you a gift and you're, you're trying to get it like this, how are you going to open it if, your fists, if your hands are closed and making fists? It's going to be really hard for you to open. You're not actually going to be able to receive it. Receiving a gift requires this, and God wants to give you a new way of life. He wants to give you his mind. He wants to give you uh, a new conscience, Okay. And you have to realize that in doing so, it's not about self, it's about sacrifice. This imagery is all about you. What can I hold on to? What can I grasp? This is about sacrifice and being willing to let go of anything for the sake of the gospel. Number two, your conscience is not about sovereignty, it's about serving. So by sovereignty, I mean autonomy, I like things my way, my preferences reign, my belief system reigns and uh, my will and my desires and my passions reign the day. That's, that's sovereignty, that's autonomy, that's, that's, that's saying. And, and the thing is, a lot of our consciences operate that way. Now, I mentioned this at the beginning. Uh, we, we actually have like whole generations formed off of Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket because we have like our conscience, Jiminy being our guide, and and what ends up happening is we just, we trust it blindly. We trust our conscience blindly. And we don't, we don't question, is this the right conscience? And that sounds crazy to even ask that, that question, but that's what Paul is trying to do here. And we're born with, in sovereignty. Jesus shows us that we're meant to serve, and that our conscience needs to be, uh, needs to be structured and needs to go that way. Here's the thing, ultimately, if it's all about you, if it's all about your sovereignty, if it's all about you, in the end, it's just going to be you. That's a very lonely existence. When you and your conscience are all about you, well, you get, you get what you wanted. It will only be you. And Paul is trying to push us towards the collective. And here's, here's another thing. Throughout this passage... We've, we've learned that conscience is a positive thing. It's a good thing. Throughout this passage, Paul actually talks about it pretty negatively. He actually talks about conscience, the, the three or four times he mentions it, it's in a negative tone. And that doesn't mean that conscience is evil. It doesn't mean it's inherently bad or, or wrong. What it means is that a, that a particular type of conscience is. 
Remember, he's dealing with infants here. He's dealing with us who don't know how to live for Jesus. He's dealing with the world who has no idea how to live for Jesus because they don't have the mind of Christ. And we're even more culpable and responsible because we do have the mind of Christ and we're still not living like Jesus. And, he, and so he's talking about conscience in a negative fashion because he's saying the conscience that you currently have is not the one that Jesus wants you to have. And that's why he's forming it here. So number three, last one. Your conscience is not about guilt. It's about gratitude. How many of you, your conscience just condemns you? For how many of you, your conscience is just about leading you into what's right or leading into to what's wrong? And when you do what's right, it applauds you. When you do what's wrong, your conscience is like, you're a horrible person. You should feel guilty for doing that. You shouldn't have done that. No one's going to like you now. You know, what are they going to think about you now that you did that? How many of you have that type of conscience? That's not what Jesus wants for you. That's not the mind of Christ. That's the mind of something else. And that's the, those are the lies of the enemy. And that's sinful nature. That's the world's culture putting things into you. Because here's the reality for you in Christ Jesus. is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing. This does not erase culpability. It does not erase blame. It does not erase that you did something wrong. But it recognizes that Jesus did something about all of those things and that your trust is not in yourself, it's in him. Do you guys see that distinction? See, when we have a guilty conscience, it's because we think we're in control. It's because we think we could have done something differently and we should have and, and it's all about us and what are they going to think and blah, 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 blah. And you go on and on and on. Some of you guys, your conscience just doesn't stop. It just goes on and on and on and on. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. And you need to start to make that shift because if you are, if your conscience is all about self, your sovereignty, and guilt, and you are in Christ Jesus, then you're just an infant. You're just a baby crying out, feed me and change me and clothe me. Uh, and you're not a person of the Spirit. You're actually operating as a person of the flesh, Paul says. But if your conscience, and this is what we're trying to get to, you know, if you have a spectrum and self-sovereignty and guilt is, is one in the spectrum, and the other end is sacrifice, serving, and gratitude or grace, that's what we want to get to, right? Because if you're operating in conscience of gratitude and grace, that you're recognizing Jesus in those things, it's going to take you away from guilt and condemnation. Because when you do mess up, because you will mess up, you probably messed up this morning already. You failed at something, you sinned, you yelled at somebody, whatever. Uh, when you do, instead of being guilt, feeling guilty about it, one, you'll rectify the situation and you'll thank God for the ability to do so. You'll thank him that you have forgiveness and redemption in him. And because of that, you can go and show other people that. Because here's the thing, once you have those things, you're showing people the mind of Christ. If you are under self-sovereignty and guilt, you're not showing the mind of Christ. 
you're revealing a different conscience to them. And in the end, your conscience reveals your Christ. It reveals who you're putting your trust in. And that side of the spectrum over here, that's you. You're putting your trust in you. You're putting your trust in who you are and your abilities and your desires and your passions and your will and all those things. Over here, you're putting your trust in Christ. And you're operating in, in His mind. And you're doing things uh, on His behalf and for the kingdom. And what's, most Im and, and what's also important is that you're doing things in the collective. That's what you're created for. You're created to operate in the community. Now, also hear me on this. Our vision statement at Trinity Life Church is discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. And what I mean, what we mean by that is we're all in Christ Jesus. All, every one of us in here uh, who are followers of Jesus, we were meant to find our identity in Christ. Actually, all of us who are ever born were meant to find our identity in Christ. But all of us who, who identify with Christ, we have initially said that we identify with Christ Jesus. Our identity is in there. Some of you guys, or a lot of you guys, are still struggling just to put your identity in Christ. But when you became a follower of Jesus, that was your initial response to what he's done for you. I am identifying with Christ in, that, in those things. We're still learning how to do that, um, and that's okay. Uh, but discovering identity in Christ, and this is a specific order too, that has to happen first. Now discovering your destiny in Christ, your purpose. Like, don't think destiny is some, like, I don't know what you guys think of destiny, but just think your purpose in life. Now, a lot of times in purpose, we individualize it. And if you're a student right now, or you might not even have to be a student, um, a lot of people ask this question in their 20s. God, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? Well, we all have the same answer to that question. We're all to be ministers of reconciliation. We're all to be ambassadors of the gospel. We're all to pursue Jesus. We have the same purpose and the same destiny. Now, the question you're actually asking is in the latter part of our statement where it says you are to influence the city and the world. That's where your specific personality comes in, your gifts, your abilities, your education, your family background, all, all those things. But before that, identity and destiny, we're the same. And after that, um, we're influencing the world specifically. So don't hear this and say, oh, I have to give up freedoms, I have to give up uh, who I am as an individual for the collective. That's not what I'm saying at all. You have individual things, and that actually operates and benefits the collective. Okay? So when Paul goes through these verses, it's not impinging on your freedom. It's not taking away your rights. It's not taking away your preferences. It's actually using your preferences, using your freedoms, using your rights, whatever it is, using your passions and desires for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the other person. And when you think about that other person being a non-believer or even a believer, you get to show them the mind of Christ. You get to show them who Jesus is when you operate in that way. And Paul says, it looks like this in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, the most, some of the most mundane, necessary things in our lives, eating and drinking, and he says, eh, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Glory is kind of an interesting, an inter- interesting word, and I've heard it defined as it's a, it's a public manifestation of the inner reality. So the inner reality is I love God, I love, I love Jesus, I want to glorify him, and it publicly manifests itself outward and whether I eat or drink or whatever I do. And he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So basically anybody, he says, Jews, non-Jews, and those who are in the church. That's everybody. Um, give no offense to anybody, he says. Don't put a stumbling block before them. Don't, um, don't hinder the gospel. Uh, and then in verse 33, he says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. You see Paul's goal there, or his thrust, goal is not the right word. You see his, the, the impetus behind why he lives this way. It's for the salvation of other people, that they may see the glory of God. And then he says this crazy, crucial, like really high standard type, sentence he says be imitators of me as I am of Christ can you say that this morning if you're a follower of Jesus could you say to your husband or your wife be be an imitator of me as I imitate Jesus could you say that to uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend can you say that to your friends can you say that to your parents can you say that to your children be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Can you say that to your boss at work? Could you, could you say that to your friends? Hey, I know you're struggling in your faith. Yeah, this has been a rough transition, starting the school year, whatever. But you can follow my example because I'm following Christ's example. Can you actually say that? Would you, would you feel comfortable saying that? Most of us would say, I don't know if I can say that. I mean, uh, that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. But that's what we're supposed to say. That's what we're supposed to get. That's, that's what we have in Christ Jesus. We look at Paul and we're like, oh, well, he's like this, this super Christian missionary of the faith. This, he planted all these churches and all these people came to faith and he's healing people and he's uh, prophesying over here and he's... Uh, you know, baptizing all these people and doing all this stuff. Paul's just a regular guy. And there's nothing physically special about this guy. Most people think he's just a short, bald guy. Um, and he's never, he was never married. Uh, and who knows, like, what gifts he had. He had a pretty good education, but that's about it. He really had nothing else going for him. And... And we think, well, he's this super Christian, and, and how could we do that? That's, we're all like that. We're all just broken, empty vessels for the mind of Christ to come into and change. And because Paul had the mind of Christ, and he lived and knew that reality, he could actually say to people, you can imitate me as I imitate Christ. But what is, how do we do that? What does that look like? What is the mind of Christ? Fortunately, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us, he shows us, and we're going to end here and just walk through this passage. 
And he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, just, we'll stop there, encouragement. I said, Archie and I, we did City Chase Nationals this past, it felt like two weeks, but it was two days. It was started 6 a.m. Friday morning and went all the way through like almost 10 p.m. last night. And it was so much running and I don't even, I can't believe I'm even standing here right now. My legs are killing me. Um, I'm really out of shape. Archie's probably fine. He's like, I do this all the time. Uh, but we were around a, 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 bunch of, a bunch of people. We were riding back to the city. And I used the word encouragement at some point. And just the reaction I got from the person in their face and what they said next, it's like they've never really heard that word used before. It's common in the church, right? Like, oh, let's encourage one another. I want to I encourage you. Like, you can do it. You know, but that's not a common word in our culture. So he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and we would say, yes, there is. Any comfort from love, we'd say, yes. Any participation, fellowship, communion in the Spirit, we'd say, yes. Any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Unity. Having the same love, unity. Being in full accord, unity. And of one mind, unity. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So we're starting to see the picture of the mind of Christ, right? And a lot of these things we don't necessarily like. A lot of these things, they're not natural for us. Humility, encouraging others, uh, affection, sympathy, joy, love, but he's, he's painting us a picture of what the conscience, the mind of Christ, looks like. And then he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. This is verse 24 that we read earlier. Have this mind, the mind of Christ, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he shows us this through his life, uh, Christ's life, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself. It wasn't about self, it was about sacrifice. By taking the form of a servant, it wasn't about sovereignty, it was about serving. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is God. If you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you, it's, it may be weird for you that we're talking about a guy 2,000 years ago um, who died on a cross to save us. But Jesus was a real person. And you may think, well, he's just some myth. He's just some, some religious myth that was made up. But he's not. He's a real person. And he uh, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Now look, that doesn't happen until we see love, humility, sympathy, all these things, right? So you can't say, oh, well, I would love for that, to, that verses 9, 10, 11 to happen. Glory, exaltation, all these things, um, if I have the mind of Christ. But look, it came through serving. It came through humility. It came through giving up his life, his entire life. It came through him stepping out of heaven where he had everything he ever needs, and, and coming down to be with us in the dirt and the grime and the muck. And he says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. And that's the mind of Christ that we have. And that's what he says our conscience is supposed to look like. It's not supposed to guilt us. It's not supposed to shame us. It's not supposed to condemn us. It's supposed to free us. It's supposed to push us towards the Father. It's supposed to show us a new way of living. And as you grow in Christ as a follower of Jesus, that should happen. You should grow out of an infancy stage into a maturity phase. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, um, that's what's offered to you. You don't have to live in condemnation any longer. You don't have to live in guilt any longer. You don't have to live in shame any longer. You don't have to hold on to your sin and your mistakes like this any longer. You can actually live a life of sacrifice by accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. And that mind would be yours in Christ Jesus. And that's a free gift that's offered to you if we just open our hands for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth. And for taking us out of the muck and replacing in us something beautiful and magnificent and glorious. The mind of Christ Jesus. The heart of Christ Jesus. You didn't just replace our mind, you, you, you exchanged our heart from a stone of, from a, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And so continue to, to make us more like you, Jesus. As we were saying earlier, can continue to make us like you, more of you, less of us, that we'd be able to show this world who you are. If we're going to be the church that you want us to be, we have to live in the mind of Christ. We can't operate as infants any longer. So build your body this morning, Lord Jesus, as we respond in faith. We ask in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.